before we jump into what I want to talk to you about this morning, uh, real quick, this is very important. If you're a, a member of Connecting Point, so if you've gone through our membership class, if you've been officially received into the life of the church, uh, mark your calendars two weeks from this Sunday, April 29th, will be our annual church elections. And uh, for those of you who, who may not know, uh, we are governed by a board that works in conjunction with the pastoral staff to uh, provide direction with the vision ministry of the church. And uh, every year we elect new board members. Board members are elected to a two-year term, and they alternate every year. Half of those seats are up for re-election. And so this is a very, very important time in the life of the church. And so I want to encourage you that if you're a member of the church, you're 15 years uh, or older, to make sure that you're here Sunday the 29th for those board elections. Um, I want to jump into what I want to talk to you about this morning. I kind of let the cat out of the bag last week when I, I, I made this confession that sometimes when I preach, I have a secret agenda. And I made that agenda not so secret last week, but uh, of course, that, that secret agenda last week was that anybody who called themselves a Christian, a follower of Jesus, and had not been baptized yet, my secret agenda was that by the end of the service last week that they would do that, be baptized, right? And wasn't that fun? That was a great service. I, I love baptism services. Um, but this morning, I think in light of last week's confession, I thought I probably ought to just take things to the next level since I'm getting things off my chest anyway, you know, and uh, just make a little deeper confession. And that is not only, every time I say that, Laura gets really nervous when I say I'm going to make a confession. I don't know why. But um, not only did I have a secret agenda last week, the reality is that for the past couple of weeks, I've kind of secretly been leading you through kind of a secret sermon series. You guys know how I like to preach series, and most of the time we advertise those, and uh, we didn't do that over the past three weeks or so. It's kind of been a secret series, and if I were to give this secret series that's not so secret now, because I'm telling you about it, but if I were to give this series a title, I probably would call it, you know, something like um, Big Steps or Major Steps or something like that, because that's really what we've been doing over the past few weeks. Beginning with Easter, we began with step one, which is we're talking about major steps that every follower of Jesus, everybody who's committed to be a disciple of Jesus, must take in their lives. And so on Easter, we talked about what would be the first big step or major step, and that is to ask Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life. And then last week, of course, we talked about step two, which would be to follow Jesus' command and to be baptized. Um, if, I were to, if I were to give uh, today kind of a, a step title, then I, it would probably be the, uh, the growth step, or I would call it the discipleship step. That would be the third step. Because um, if you remember our verse from last week, Jesus gave his disciples this commission that we are to go into all of the world and make what? Disciples, yeah. That he said our primary responsibility is to go first of all, and, and first of all to become disciples ourselves, but then to go into all of the world and make disciples. And that word go is so important. 
That there's this, and really what Jesus is saying when he said go, it's like in your going, wherever you go, wherever I send you. So whether, you know, you're sent into your neighborhood or your place of work or wherever you go, Walmart, wherever you go, in your going, make disciples out of other people. And, and just for the sake of definition, I want to make sure that we're all on the same page when I use that word disciple. But to me, a disciple is any person who has decided to follow Jesus and are committed to grow in their relationship with him. That's, that's what a disciple is. It's, it's a person who has decided to follow Jesus and then are committed to grow in their relationship with him. And according to Jesus, the purpose of the church, the entire reason that we exist is not just to gather in a place like this for an hour and a half or so per week and then call that church. The, the, the reason or the purpose that the church exists, and remember, the church is not a building. This, this facility is not the church. Jesus said that we're living stones, that the people, we are the church. Individually, we are the church. And the reason that we exist, the purpose of the church, is to personally follow and grow in our relationship with Jesus but also to commit ourselves to help each other follow and grow as well. To help other people follow and grow. Jesus didn't say, go out and make converts. People who just make a decision. He said, go make disciples. People who are committed to following me, to doing what I say, and then growing in their relationship with me. That's what a disciple is. That's the purpose of the church. Which, which, by the way, discipleship is virtually impossible to pull off in a setting like this. Did you know that? that? That it's virtually impossible to pull off in a setting like this where we gather together because disciples are never made in rows. That they're just not. Disciples are made in circles. Disciples are made in the context of a small group. Discipleship always happens not in rows, but in circles. And so it's important that if we're serious about spiritually growing, then we need to learn how to move from rows into circles. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. And uh, in order to jump in, since y'all loved our Greek lesson last week, everybody loved learning Greek, right? Uh, we're we're going to begin by learning some more. In fact, this morning I want to teach you one more word. And uh, if you've been around the church for very long, you probably have heard this word before, but it's this word right here. Let's put it up there. Uh, this is the word koinonia. Some of you have probably heard this word before. It's pronounced koinonia. Let's all say that together. Ready? One, two, three. Koinonia. Right. Let's do it one more time. One, two, three. Koinonia. Right. Man, you guys are all fluent in Greek now. Um, so this word koinonia is another one of those words that is really multifaceted. It has, it has really significant, deep meaning. The word koinonia carries with it this, this idea of, of association. It carries with it the idea of participation. 
Depending on how it's used, it could mean uh, community. Sometimes when it's used, it means intimacy. Most of the time in our English Bibles, this word koinonia is translated as the word fellowship. Fellowship. That's, a, that's a kind of an old church word. We don't use that word very often anymore. I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of that word. Sometimes, uh, you know, we may think of just having dinner together. We used to have fellowship dinners. Sometimes we call that. But, but this word fellowship, it, it's, 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 it's a deep, deep word. And, and I think that even when we use it around the church, it's kind of become shallow in its meaning. But, but this word fellowship, it's all about love. That's what it's really about. It's about love and a specific kind of love. Jesus told us, he said, that if you want to boil down what it means to follow me, what it means to be a disciple, you can really boil it down to two things. Love God and love other people, right? That he said. He said, these are the two greatest commandments. It's just love God and love other people. Everything else kind of falls under these two commandments. And so when we talk about loving God, the biblical word for loving God is the word worship. That, that's what we, we, we do together. When we gather together and when we sing songs on a Sunday morning or when we take an offering or when we say a prayer, we're not just singing a few songs. We're not just giving some money. We are expressing love to God. That is worship. The biblical word for, for uh, loving God is worship. Now, the biblical word for loving others is this word fellowship. Fellowship. Fellowship is the word that is, is intended to describe all the many ways that we love each other. And it is through fellowship that true discipleship happens. In fact, the Bible teaches us that there are four levels of fellowship. And they, they kind of go from shallow to deep. And, and what I want to do this morning is I want to just talk for a moment about each of these levels because, again, our purpose is to fulfill the call that God has placed upon us and to be and make disciples. And the best way that discipleship happens is through what the Bible calls fellowship. And so the first level of fellowship is what is called the fellowship of sharing. The fellowship of sharing. Now, remember... Fellowship is all about love. It's all about relationships. And every relationship begins with sharing. We, we begin sharing conversations. We, we begin sharing meals together. We begin sharing of our time with each other. The, the reality is that the more that you share with a person, the more you grow to love that person. If you don't share with them, you don't grow to love them. The, the more you share your time with somebody, the closer you get to that person. One of the things that the, the first followers of Jesus were just kind of famous for was they, they were just famous for being loving people. Wouldn't it be awesome to be known for that? <laughs> I mean, they were just famous for being loving people. They, they were known for the way that they loved and, and, and why were they so loving? I, I believe that Acts chapter 2 gives us a hint as to why these people were so loving. It, it says in Acts chapter 2 that all of the believers met together constantly. 
In other words, they were just together all of the time. They just hung out with each other all of the time. They met together constantly, and they shared everything with each other. You see, the reason that these early believers were so famous for the way that they loved was because they just spent so much time with each other that they understood that it is impossible to build a relationship with anybody simply by sitting in rows for an hour and a half. Fellowship only comes through spending time and sharing with each other. And, you know, this isn't rocket science. This is the truth of any relationship, right? Because fellowship, in the truest sense of the word, always takes time. And so, so if you've ever seen somebody, uh, seen, a, seen a couple, and you've thought, man, they have such a strong marriage, and you wished, you know, I, I wish I really had a marriage like that. Or, or if you've seen two people who have a deep friendship, and you thought, man, I wish I had a friendship like that. Listen, those kind of relationships do not happen by chance. They happen by choice. They don't happen by chance. They only happen by choice because relationships can only be built by spending time with each other. And so if you're here this morning, if you're listening online, and and you don't really have any close friends, listen, I'm sorry, I truly am. But it's not luck. Those relationships don't happen by luck. They happen by choice. And the reason that you don't have any close friends is because you are not giving the time to have them. It takes time. Relationships begin through the fellowship of sharing. Now, this is the shallowest level, but it's the level that gets us started in learning how to love, which again cannot happen in a setting like this. It it, it can only happen in circles in the context of a small group. Which, which by the way, if you've been around here very long, you know that we call our small groups, we call them connect groups. Because again, they're designed to connect us with each other and to connect us with God. And so we we call them connect groups and, and we connect relationally as we share together. All right, so that's the first level. The second level of love is the fellowship of belonging. So we move from sharing to belonging. In order order to move from shallow to deep in any relationship, whether we're talking about a marriage, a friendship, a group, it begins with sharing, but then we have to move beyond that. Because, Because love is about being committed to somebody else, right? It's all about commitment, being committed in a marriage, being committed in a friendship, being committed in a church, being committed in a small group. When we move beyond the idea of just hanging out together and we're willing to commit ourselves to one another, that is the place where we really move from a place to where we or to a place where we know that we really belong. By the way, This is why one of the reasons why living together outside of marriage is one of the most shallow forms of love. Because true love is all about commitment. If you you love, if if he really loves you, he's going to commit to living with you for the rest of his life. You commit to marriage. 
You, you see, this is what we're talking about this morning. Belonging is the difference between dating and getting married. You know, um, Laura um, and I belong to each other. Laura belongs to me, and I belong to her. She doesn't belong to anybody else. I don't belong to anybody else. Why? Because it's been almost 25 years this October. We, we stood before God, and we took our love to a different level. When we said we're going to make a commitment to each other, to belong to each other, we said, you know what, we're going to commit to each other for the long term. We're not just going to commit to just shacking up or hanging out or living together or sharing whatever. We are committed to each other no matter what, forever. And so we took that commitment to a new level. That's the fellowship of belonging. The, the fellowship of belonging is the difference between being an attender of a church and being a member of a church. It's the difference between being a spectator and being a participator. It's, it's, the belonging is the difference between being an outsider and just watching stuff happen and being an insider and being a part of making stuff happen. It's the difference between being a consumer and being a contributor. That, that's belonging. And the Bible is very clear about this. The Bible is very clear that God wants every single person, every single one of us, to belong to a church family. In fact, listen to what the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, you are members of God's very own family. He says, you belong in God's household with every other Christian. In other words, that means that being a Christian is about more than just believing. It involves belonging. So, so this morning, ask yourself, am I a believer or am I a belonger? Do, do I have a place where I belong? Because according to the Bible, in order to be in God's family, you've got to be a belonger. There, there's no such thing as Lone Ranger Christians. There's no such thing as just you and me, Jesus. In fact, the Bible has a name for that kind of person. The Bible calls um, a lone ranger Christian or a solo Christian an orphan. They've got no church home. And who wants to be an orphan? I mean, we all want to belong, right? And you know what's, you know what's weird about this? This is, this is kind of unique to America. Um, and really, even within our country within the past 50 years or so, but in this culture of consumerism that we live in, we've, we've developed this really weird trend of what I call floating believers. And what I mean by that are Christians who refuse to really commit themselves to one particular church, but instead are like, you know what? This Sunday, these guys have something really cool going on, and so I'm going to go over there. But wait a second. Next Sunday, these guys have something real cool, really cool going on, so I want to go there. And next week, i got to go there because they've got something that's better than all of them. And so they just float from place to place to place because it's about how can all of them serve me? And, and here's the problem with that. Where there's no commitment, there's also no accountability.
developing a system of accountability around us rather than discipleship, rather than growth. It's become more about what is the immediate payoff for me? How, how can all of them serve me rather than, you know what, I'm going to commit. It's not just about us. This, this trend of floating believers driven by a culture of Christian consumerism Never in 2,000 years of Christianity has that ever been the model. We created that. And, and honestly, never is it happening anywhere else in the world except here in America. Everywhere else in the world, to be a Christian means that you commit yourself, you tie yourself to a local church family. In fact, listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 12. The apostle Paul writes, in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to the others. That we belong to each other, and we work together just like a body works together when we bring our specific passions and talents and skills and abilities together and combine them together. We're, that's why we say we're better together, right? Because that's the way we were designed is to plug into a, a body of believers and to function together as one body. And so, belonging, according to Scripture, is not optional. All right, so we begin with sharing. We move to belonging. And then the third level of love is what is called the fellowship of, of serving. The fellowship of serving. Listen, um, if, you want, if you really want to deepen your love with somebody... Or if you really want to deepen your, your love with a group of somebodies, I'm telling you, the best way to do this is simply by serving together. And um, can, can I just be honest with you on this one? There, there are a whole lot of things that we do really, really, really well as a church here at Connecting Point. But, but this one is one that we need to work on a little bit. This one, we, we really, really need to grow in. Um, and when I, when I say that we need to grow in that, when I say we don't do it really well, that's more of an indictment upon me than it is anybody else because I'm your pastor, I'm your leader. And it's an area that I really need to lead us into. In fact, over the past uh, few months, we as a board have been going through and doing evaluations of every ministry of the church. And just, just evaluating how do they fit the mission of who we're called to be? How do they fit the vision of who God has called us to be? And, and one of the things that we've discovered as we've gone through these ministry evaluations is that as a church, the vast majority of our ministries are way more internally focused. In other words, they're way more about serving us than they are externally focused. And let me, let me just clarify what I'm saying, or, or better yet, what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that, that none of y'all serve. That couldn't be further from the truth. The, the reality is that we have lots and lots and lots of people who have servants' hearts and are serving people outside of the church, inside of the church, all of the time. But what I am saying is this, is that we're kind of weak in this area corporately. 
And so we become aware that we need to create more opportunities for us to go out and to serve together because something happens. When, when Tom and I serve independently, it's a great thing and we're honoring Jesus, but something happens when we do it together. It not, only, it not only creates this synergy where we're able to accomplish more, but it creates this bond between the two of us. It draws us together. It deepens our level of fellowship. There's something that happens in us that does not happen any other place than when we serve together. It's just, it's just a fact. But when you partner with somebody for a common purpose, when you collaborate, when you pool your resources, guess what happens? It's amazing how your love grows deeper for the people that you're serving with and their love grows deeper for you. When a small group, when they partner together for a purpose, it just takes that group into a deeper level. And by the way, what we have discovered and what we believe is the best context for this serving together corporately is in the context of a small group. We're already in small groups of people. Let's just go out and serve together. Find a purpose, find a plan, find a cause, find something that just kind of stirs your hearts as a group, and then go out together and give yourselves away. It'll be amazing, number one, how you'll grow closer together as you serve together, but also how you will grow spiritually because you're doing what Jesus did, what he commanded us to do, giving yourself away for, for the sake of somebody else. This is one of the reasons why mission trips are so powerful. I mean, I've had the privilege of, of serving on a number of mission trips down through the years, and it's amazing how spending just a week or 10 days with a group of people, working together, serving together, praying together, laughing together, how that can create a bond and meld you together for years and years and years and years to come. Why? Because there's this level of love and a level of fellowship that comes when we serve together and we can't find it anyplace else. You, you can't get it from sharing and you can't get it from belonging. You only get it by serving together. Our, our, our Greek word that we looked at a few minutes ago, that word koinonia, sometimes that word gets translated as the word partnership. Partnership. Anybody here that is a business person, you know that when you make partner in a company, that is a big deal. When you make partner, it means that now you're on the inside. You're not just an employee anymore. It is a big deal to become a partner. Listen, God has offered to us the greatest partnership we'll ever experience. It's a partnership in the greatest cause in the world. He has offered us a partnership in expanding a kingdom that supersedes every other kingdom. It's a partnership in the greatest cause in the world. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9 says this. It says, we are partners working together for God. And so when we partner together, it draws us closer to the people we're partnering with, but it also deepens our relationship with God as well. Well, that's the third level of fellowship. It's when we begin to work with other people, serve with other people in a small group. And when we do that, we develop a deeper level of love. We experience a deeper level of growth that we can't get in any other way. And that leads us to 
the, the deepest level of fellowship. This, this is the deepest level of love. You know, we begin with sharing, and once we share with each other, we start to feel like we belong because love is a commitment. Then, then we get deeper as we go uh, through serving together. But the deepest level is what the Bible calls the fellowship of suffering. The fellowship of suffering. You see, the reality is that love grows deepest when we share in each other's suffering. There's just something that happens when we share in each other's suffering. When we have a group of people where we can share a pain, a hurt, a heartache, when we enter in and we actually share in bearing somebody else's burden, when we go through suffering together, it just it just draws us closer together. And by the way, I, I want to state this publicly and unashamedly and unapologetically without hesitation. I want, this, I want this on the record. This is being recorded. Laura and I will never, ever get a divorce. It's on the record now, right? Yeah, she said yes too. No, listen, what she, we won't. We, talk, we, we talked about this yesterday. We decided it a long time ago. <laughs> but, but we talked about this again yesterday. We, we will never, ever get a divorce for two reasons. The, the first reason why we'll never get a divorce is because we love Jesus. And, and 24 years ago, we stood before him and when we said, I do, we committed ourselves, we entered into a covenant, not only with each other, but with him. And when we, when we did that, we determined that there was no plan B, that, that we were going to lock the escape hatch and throw away the key. And we determined that we will never, ever get a divorce. Now, we may kill each other, <laughs> but we will not divorce each other. The second reason why we'll never get a divorce is because we've just gone through too much suffering together. We've just experienced too much pain together. And why would we want to waste all of that? I mean, I can't even begin to imagine trying to break in a new wife. We, we've gone through too much together. We've suffered too much together. And because of all the pain and the suffering that we've gone through, we have, it has melded us together. It's united us. It's drawn us together. Well, guess what? For the very same reason, this is why small groups are so important. Because each and every one of us, whether we, we want to admit it or not, we need other people. When life happens, and let me just tell you, life happens. It just does. Trouble comes. 
And life happens and hurts happen. And when those things happen, we need other people in our lives. We need people who are committed to us. We need people who will pray with us. We need people who will encourage us. We need people who we've let into our lives who will walk with us through the painful moments of life. Laura and I know this firsthand. In fact, one of the one of the hardest things for Laura and I when we left Kansas was, I mean, we didn't know any of y'all yet. We hadn't had an opportunity to share with you and belong with you and serve with you and all, all of that stuff. And so the hardest thing for us was leaving a small group of people for, for some of them 10, 15, 18 years we had just done life with. And they had seen us at our best, and they had seen us at our worst. They had rejoiced with us, and they had cried with us, and they had supported us. The hardest thing was leaving this small group of people that we had just done life with. I mean, we had gone through so much pain together as a group that the death of loved ones, marriage problems, financial problems, problems with kids, the discouragement and depression, all kinds of stuff. And when you go through that kind of stuff with somebody, through that kind of suffering with other people or a group of people, it binds you together. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 6. He says we are to share each other's troubles. We are to share each other's problems. And in this way, by doing that, by sharing each other's troubles and problems, in this way we obey the Lord's command. What is the Lord's command? Love your neighbor as yourself. So let me ask you a question this morning. For those of you who are here and those who are watching online, do you have a place where you can do that with each other? Do you have a place where you can do that with somebody else? Share your problems with them, your troubles with them. Allow them to share their troubles and problems with you. Do you have a place to do that with anybody? Do you have a safe place, a, a group of people to whom you can share your pain? And have you made space in your life to help somebody else who's in pain? If not, can I just tell you that you are missing out on a major point of life. Because the bottom, life, bottom line is this. Life is all about relationships. Je Jesus said when you boil it all down, life is all about learning. Life is all about growing in, in, in ways how to love God and how to love other people. And the way that we do that is through this koinonia, fellowship, that the sharing, the belonging, the serving, and the suffering of fellowship. And listen, there's no better place to experience that kind of fellowship than in the context of a small group. In fact, the only way to experience that kind of fellowship is in the context of a small group. A group of people who you commit yourself to and who have committed themselves to you. And listen, no secret agenda this morning. Flat out, straight out agenda. My agenda is I wish I could convince every single person who calls Connecting Point their church home 
to at least try one of our connect groups, to just, just try it out. I'm telling you, it's worth the investment. It, it's, it's really interesting. In the first century, when the Roman Empire under Nero was persecuting Christians, when, when, when they were lighting Christians on fire and using their bodies to light the streets as lamps, when they were throwing Christians to the lions, one historian wrote this about these Christians. Out of everything he could have said about them, this is what he wrote. He wrote, behold how they love one another. Man, if we could have anybody say anything about us, wouldn't that be great? Behold how they love one another. I mean, folks, we don't want Connecting Point to be known for its size. We don't want it to be known for its songs, for its sermons, for its pastors. We want Connecting Point to be known for it's love. Because when you, when you have love, you can't keep people away. When, when you have genuine love, you can't keep people away because the one thing that everybody is looking for is love. The, the problem is that most people have been looking for it in all the wrong places. Because most people have never really learned how to love. Love is not something that you learn very well, even in a setting like this. It doesn't happen in rows. Learning to love only happens in circles. And I'm convinced that small groups are like a laboratory for love. Because in the context of a small group, you get a practice. Sharing, belonging, serving, and suffering. Kind of sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? I mean, sharing, belonging, serving, suffering, that just, that just sounds like learning to be a disciple of Jesus. And, and that's why connect groups are so important because they're, they're a vehicle to help us to grow and become more like Jesus. And that's what it's all about, right? That's why we're here. That's why we gather together. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to invite the band to come and help me as we wrap this up. Um, everybody, I left mine. I thought I had a connect card. Did I leave it down here? Thank you. Everybody pull out your connect card. On the back side of this card, um, we, we have an opportunity for you. Um, over the past several weeks, we've been advertising this, um, we're calling it a um, five-week no-obligation connect group test drive. And what that is, is it's exactly what it sounds like. It's, it's, a, it's a, uh, a short term, it's an opportunity on a short term basis, just five weeks, to give one of our connect groups a, a, a kind of a test drive, to just check it out with no obligation. And at the end of those five weeks, you know, you're off the hook. You're not committing to a lifetime or anything like that. There's no further obligation. Of course, again, we have an agenda, our secret agenda that I just keep telling you all my secrets. But our hope is that after uh, experiencing uh, one of our groups, being in a group, that you'll be hooked and then you'll want to continue when we relaunch in the fall. We'll get through summer. We'll relaunch again in the fall. Because again, we believe that small groups are the best 
best way to be a disciple and to make disciples. And so we already have several groups who already meet on a regular basis. In fact, some of them have been meeting for years and years and years. But we've got two new opportunities, all right, that you can plug into where you can just kind of get an experience. And so uh, there's an insert also in your program that tells about these two groups. One of them is going to be led by Carmen and Jeff Schwab and Stacy Bannister. And so, uh, and then the other one will be led by, and I don't think Carmen, I think Carmen and Jeff are out of town. Stacy, are you here? Would you stand up so everybody can see you? I know we love being pointed out. So there's Stacy. She'll be a part of that leadership. And then Brett and Samantha Wilson, would you guys stand? Because you love being pointed out as well. So stand. This is Brett and Samantha. And so these are, and just stay standing, Brett, for, I have no reason, but I just want you to stay standing. <laughs> now, these, both of these groups would love to have you join them for five weeks to check them out. And so on the back side of your Connect cards where it says Next Steps and Opportunity, if you would be interested in participating in either one of these groups, uh, Stacy and uh, Jeff and Carmen's group are going to be meeting on Thursday nights from 6.30 to 8 p.m., and then the Wilson's group will be meeting uh, on Sunday nights from 6 to 7.30 p.m. for five weeks. We're going to launch these next, beginning next week, and so their group's going to meet next Sunday night, right? Okay, and so um, if you would love to join either one of these groups, just mark join. And what, what will happen is, is somebody will contact you within the next couple of days to answer any questions that you have, to give you more information, to kind of talk through what this is all going to be like. But if you're interested in that, you can, you can just mark behind where it says join. And if you'd be interested in hosting... Just hosting the group in your home during that time for five weeks, opening up your home and allowing the group to sit in your living room and, and meet or in your basement or, or outside if it's nice out or whatever. Um, if you'd be interested in that, you can mark host. And again, somebody will contact you and go through that. And then if you have children, uh, you can mark that because there's lots of ways that the groups are, are going to be dealing with children. You can talk, talk about that in your group. But if you'd be interested in doing that mark, that, mark that. We'd love to fill these two groups up. We've already had several people indicate they're interested. But again, we're talking about discipleship here. This is the best way to really develop the kind of fellowship that the Bible really intended for us to have. This, this way that we meet together, it's great and it's valuable. But it would be totally foreign for a first century Christian to see the way that we do church. I mean, because what they did was what our small groups do. They met in homes, and they gathered together, and they shared with each other. They had a meal together, and they talked, and they sang together, and they served together. And we want to be the kind of church that Jesus intended for us to be. And so as valuable as this is, I tell people this all the time. Get involved in a small group. I'd rather have you go to your small group than come on Sunday morning. You don't have permission to not come on Sunday morning. But get involved in a small group. And so uh, we're going we're gonna to close things out with a song. And ushers, would you come and help us gather uh, these Connect cards? And so Dustin, would you lead us? <laughs>